0: That's it for the reading. The reading is taken from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 13 and 17 to 18. And if you're following it in the Church Bible, it's on page 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of air of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks.
1: May I speak in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The opening words of Genesis 15, after these things, invite us to look back to what has been happening to Abraham before we start to think about what happens next. As we look back, the most significant happening is described in Genesis chapter 12, where God speaks to Abraham and promises him that he will have a key role in God's purposes for the world. God makes a threefold promise to Abraham, a promise of progeny, you will become a great nation, a promise of property, you will inherit a land, and a promise of prosperity, you will become a blessing to all peoples. It was a remarkable prospect for Abraham, and we are told that immediately he set out from his homeland to begin the adventure of discovering the reality of God's promise. It was a great high point in Abraham's relationship with God, one in which he felt that God had given him a special work to do and in which he would see God working with him and through him. But what happened after that? As we read chapters 12 to 14, the answer is that instead of seeing a clear fulfillment of what God had promised, Abraham had met with all kinds of troubles and trials and setbacks. It became a time of real testing. First of all, Abraham, as he set off for the promised land, had been afflicted by famine and forced to divert into Egypt. Because his wife Sarah was very beautiful, Abraham had feared for his life. And so he persuaded her to say that she was his sister in case they picked on him as an insignificant foreigner and killed him and then took his wife. Well, this led to trouble with Pharaoh and in no time at all, Abraham was ejected from the land. After that, there was conflict between Abraham's herdsmen and his cousin Lot's herdsmen. So Abraham had to agree to divide up the land and avoid family quarrels. Following on from that, the narrative tells us that certain battles were fought between uh, Abraham, Lot, and the local inhabitants, and in no time at all, Lot had been captured. So Abraham had to assemble a small army and go after him to try and recapture him and set him free, which of course he did. And then finally, there's a description of Abraham's strange encounter with the king of Salem, who is a priest and who places quite major demands on Abraham. All of these experiences have no direct bearing on the promise that God had made in Genesis chapter 12. And perhaps more to the point, none of them did anything to take forward the fulfillment of that promise. Sarah, his wife, had not become pregnant. Instead, he had nearly lost her to Pharaoh. No new land had been secured. Instead, he had found himself treated as an alien and an outsider. And thirdly, he had not seen much evidence of his being blessed or becoming a blessing to others. Rather, there had been the conflict with Lot, and then there had been the surrender to Melchizedek, who had pronounced some form of blessing directly mostly to God, not Abraham. All of this gives you the feeling that Abraham was living rather on the edge, vulnerable, fragile, uncertain, and perhaps longing to go back to the place he was before God had spoken to him and commissioned him to leave his homeland. These are the things which set the scene for Genesis 15. And in verse 1 we read, The word of the Lord came to Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Not a surprising word of reassurance from God after everything that had happened. He must have felt unprotected and exposed as he faced all those troubles. So God says, I I am your shield, Abraham. In other words, I haven't forgotten you. I am with you. I'm alongside you as you face these difficulties. And then God adds, great will be your reward. In other words, I haven't forgotten the promise I made to you. It will come to pass in due course. So how does Abraham respond to this reassuring word from God? Well, the opening word of verse 2 gives us the clue. But but Abraham said, O Lord God what will you give me for I remain childless you've given me no offspring and so a slave born to my house is to be my heir just where is the evidence that your promise will be fulfilled is what Abraham is saying. And you can see how he's tried to reason it out. Well Sarah, my wife, is not getting pregnant, so there will be no offspring from her. But um, I do have a kind of secondary offspring from my slave girl. Perhaps that's how God intends to fulfill the promise about me. But then, that's not a genuine fulfillment, because to say my offspring, in the fullest sense, Sarah, my wife, needs to be the mother. No, this is confusing, thinks Abraham. Just what is God doing And that imaginary process of reasoning finds expression in Abraham's complaint. You, God, have given me no offspring. And then in verse 4, but the word of the Lord came to Abraham. This man will not be your heir, but your very own child shall be your heir. But, 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 in this whole section, you get the sense there's a tension between Abraham and God. There's a clash of views and both parties are being honest and open about their disagreement. So let's apply that to our own experience. Probably most of us have had the kind of seesaw experience Abraham had. The high comes when we feel that God is speaking clearly to us and showing us how he wants us to cooperate with him. He puts a definite path in front of us and we happily set off in pursuit of what God has asked of us. And this can happen both for the individual Christian and for the church. We have a clear vision and a deep sense of joy that God has invited us to be part of his purposes. And then comes the testing Then comes the feeling that God has withdrawn and stood back so that we are struggling on our own against difficulty after difficulty. What we thought was a straightforward process leads to setbacks and rerouting and a lot of frustration. And then we feel we need to protest. We want to remind God of what he said, of the expectations that he created and which raised our spirits as we considered them. And hopefully, you do feel able to protest if you find yourself in that place. Just like Abraham, just like Moses, just like so many of the prophets of the Old Testament, we speak out to God about what is weighing us down. We tell him that we are angry and disappointed, that we've begun to doubt him. To do anything else is to play false, to create pretense in our relationship with God and to remove the transparency that should exist. There's a lovely story about St. Teresa of Avila who was a 16th century Carmelite nun. She believed that God had called her to bring reform to the Carmelite order and so she began to travel around to the different convents that were set around Spain exhorting the sisters to be more devoted to Christ and to live more disciplined lives. Well, one day, as her simple wooden cart was moving along a dirt track, there was a torrential storm. In no time at all, the cart was firmly caught in the mud and she had to step out of it. As her ankles sank into the mud and the rain drenched her from above, Teresa looked up at the sky, shook her fist and said, God! It's no wonder you've got so few friends the way you treat them. (laughs) There was something refreshing about that outburst. Teresa felt able to speak her mind to God. And that's completely in keeping with what Paul says in Ephesians 3.12. In Christ, he says, we have access to God with boldness and confidence. And the Greek parousia could literally be translated... In Christ, we have the freedom to say anything and everything to God. We approach God as God's children, speaking to their Heavenly Father. Or if you find it more helpful, we approach Jesus as friend and brother who knows and loves us without limit. So when there's pain and perplexity in our lives, as there was for Abraham, it makes sense and is a sign of a healthy relationship with God that we tell him how difficult we are finding our circumstances and how much we need greater clarity and understanding. And what does God do to help Abraham come to terms with the challenges he had faced, which had delayed and distanced him from seeing God's promise fulfilled? How does he respond to the anguish he feels over having no offspring? Verse 5 tells us, that God brought Abraham outside and showed him the countless myriads of stars in the sky. And God said to Abraham, so shall your descendants be. And we read, Abraham believed the Lord. So what had happened to bring about that change? What allayed Abraham's fears and gave him renewed confidence in God? I think the answer is that God had rekindled Abraham's imagination. He had refreshed his vision, renewed his excitement about the great plan that God had in mind. And hopefully the same can happen for you and me if we allow God to raise our sights so that we see something of the greatness and the grandeur of his purpose. Once we see that, then we become less anxious about the more minor details. We realise that if God can accomplish these great things, then of course he can remove or overcome the obstacles that happen to be immediately in front of us on the path to their fulfilment. When St. Paul's Cathedral was being built, a man visited the site where the works were being done. And he approached a stonemason and said, what are you doing? And the man said, well... I'm cutting stones for the northwest corner in a rather subdued voice. Next, he met a carpenter. And what are you doing? I'm working on a screen for the, south, for the south aisle, he replied unenthusiastically. And then he bumped into a young lad whose work was to fill the water buckets for the horses who carried the materials across the site. And what are you doing? asked the man. Sir, said the boy, pulling himself up straight, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren to build a great cathedral. (laughs) Can you see the difference? If someone approached you and asked, what part do you have to play in the life of this church, what would you say? I belong to a house group. I contribute to the music. I act as a steward on Sunday mornings. But could you also say, I am helping Jesus Christ build his church here in Baston Hill so that the love of God can be more well known in the community round about us? Can you see the big purpose that draws in your small contribution and builds the tapestry of God's love in a situation? Well, Abraham did when he saw the stars and suddenly realized the grandeur of God's purpose, and his concern about lack of a child just melted away, and he believed the Lord. However, Abraham was not finished. He was bothered about something else, and so he came clean. Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess the land? All his words were laden again with doubt and uncertainty. And this time, God responds very differently. He commands Abraham to prepare a sacrifice, taking various animal carcasses and cutting them in two and laying them carefully over against each other. Just when all of that is ready, something else happens which we shouldn't miss. Verse 12 says, a deep, and terrifying darkness descended upon Abraham. What are we to make of that? I wonder if it means that Abraham cut up the carcasses and laid them out, and as he looked at them, it was as if he was confronting his own fears more fully. God, he might have thought, as I look at these dead animals cut up, and broken in this place of sacrifice. They make me realize how dead and broken I feel inside. As I've tried to hold on to your promise, the joy and the enthusiasm have gradually seeped away, and now inwardly I feel dead, I feel broken. And thus a deep darkness has descended upon him. He felt all the exhaustion and fear and apprehension, all the sense of frustration and fragmentation that had built up as he had tried to hold on to God's promise. Here he was now at a very low point, feeling unable to help himself or rally himself. And at that very point, God responds. And before we look at God's response, Let's just note that darkness Abraham experienced can be a very real part of faith in God. Faith is not the same as certainty. And sometimes the more mature our faith, the darker it can be. John Dalrymple put it like this, real faith is dark. It means accepting things to be true without seeing why, only because they are given to you. Deeper than that, it can mean accepting a person as Lord whom we do not appear to have any relationship with. This both hurts the mind and seems a crazy foundation on which to build one's life. At times, we do feel duped. We do have to accept that it is all true, without seeing why. But if we let go at that point in utter trust, we are led to a more glorious resurrection than we could ever have foreseen. I think it's important to remember that. It was Kierkegaard who described faith as floating on 70,000 fathoms, giving the sense that we feel somewhat insignificant And at the mercy of something and someone far greater than us. And that all we can do is to let go, stop trying to be in control, and surrender ourselves in trust. So Abraham feels enveloped by a deep darkness, and then God responds. A smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the animal pieces... And the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. What are we to make of this mysterious happening? A firepot was used to cook food, and so I see its appearance as a symbol of nurture, strengthening, and sustaining. The flaming torch is for lighting up a darkened path, and so it speaks of guidance, and finding direction. And the fact that they pass between the animal pieces conveys the message from God that he wants to offer this nurture and this guidance in the midst of Abraham's sense of brokenness. God is not saying, Abraham, when you snap out of your present state of mind and when you start to express some confidence in me, then, I'll give you some strength and guidance. No, right now, right here, right where Abraham was struggling to make sense of his faith and his relationship with God, that is where God comes to him and meets him and touches and transforms him. It was in that dark place that God came to make the covenant, that pledge of agreement with Abraham. And that, of course, is how God works. When we feel we've got nothing left to give, he comes all the way to meet us. That is what grace is all about. And when he meets us in our weakness, in our helplessness, he lifts us gently onto our feet. And with his arm around us, as it were, he helps us to take the first steps forward on the path to his will. What are the equivalents of the smoking pot and the flaming torch today? I think nurture can come in the sacrament of Holy Communion, and that would be the equivalent of the smoking pot. Here God feeds us. Here God gives us a covenant pledge of his loving kindness and mercy. Here in the bread and wine, as we take it, God comes to us gently and reassures us of his love for us. He sets our minds back towards the cross and the sacrificial death of Jesus. And as we think of that, and as we receive the broken bread and the wine outpoured, symbols of his crucified body and his shed blood, we realize that what he did for us on the cross was to show us that nothing, nothing can quench or break his love for us. Nothing can separate us. From that love. Jesus enters our brokenness in his brokenness and says, I'm here, I'm with you, I will never abandon you. And as for the flaming torch which gives guidance, I think the equivalent must be Holy Scripture whether that's its text on the page or its interpretation in preaching, its reiteration on the lips of a fellow believer or its concrete expression in acts of Christ's likeness. As the word of God reaches you and me in one of these ways, so we sense that God is speaking to us. He's reassuring us of his love for us as we hear his voice and realize that he still wants to draw us into a relationship with him. And how wonderful that that word, that whisper of divine guidance, comes not from some highly exalted and detached place, but right here, right in the heart of the darkness, and meeting us in our weakness can give us strength. Perhaps there's a message for you and I in Genesis 15. Perhaps you and I have had a strong sense of God's calling and then found that we've been driven to question the authenticity of that calling through the things that have tested and troubled us. Perhaps we found we needed to express our uncertainty and our doubts to God and that's made us feel worse about ourselves. Perhaps we've we've been aware that God has met us in some of our anxieties but not all of them. And perhaps we've been plunged into a deep darkness which has taken away that sense of support for our trust in God and we felt exhausted, helpless and unable to move forward. And perhaps we can testify that when that's happened to us, when we've been at a low point, God did come to us. He did gently embrace us, lift us up and take us back into his will. Perhaps we can say amen to Abraham's experience. Yes, God's pledge, his covenant, has always proved true. Or it may be that you're still at that low point this morning, that your verve and vitality have been sapped away, and that you do feel dead and broken inside and hurting. If so, then we're at a point where we need God to give us a real sense of his nurture and his guidance. We need, through sacrament and scripture, to know that he is right here alongside us, that he will stay close to us in mercy and faithfulness. God wants to lead us forward so that we can find healing and renewed hope. And if that's where you are this morning, because this word seems to take us to this point, we're going to provide in front of the cross at communion the sacrament of anointing or laying hands on with prayer. And if you're in that place, a low point, or you're just in a place where you want some reassurance, or you want God's love to be renewed in your life because you're carrying a particular burden, then feel free after you've received communion to go and receive ministry there, so that God can touch you in the way that he touched Abraham. All of us, like Abraham, are inheritors of a great promise. And in our case, as Christians, the promise is this. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that's not real for you this morning, then you may just want to take advantage of the ministry that will be available. Or if it has been renewed recently in your life so that you do feel a deep sense of peace, that his love really surrounds you and holds you, you may want to use this service as a time of deep thanksgiving to God for the renewal and unfailing pledge of his love for you. Whichever it is, Let all of us be able to walk out of this church this morning with that verse written upon our hearts. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.